Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... It's focus, it's health equity. How do we have an impact in the community and at large around the, the vast differences and outcomes of health based on where someone comes from, their socioeconomic class, what neighborhoods they live in. It's shocking the difference in just mortality between one zip code or one small area of a city and another. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 314 of Impact Boom. My name's Indio Miles and I'm passionate about communicating the initiatives and enterprises causing sustainable and positive change globally. Today we're speaking with Laurie Van Dusen. Laurie Van Dusen, CIMA, is the founder and CEO of LVW Advisors, a Rochester, New York-based registered investment advisory firm that serves wealthy families and individuals, as well as nonprofit institutions nationwide. An advocate of client-focused strategies for more than 25 years, she has become the voice of reason for providing unbiased, integrated solutions in a fragmented financial services industry. Laurie is passionate about numerous philanthropic causes, serving on several boards focused on urban education, health, and wellness in the fine arts. Laurie has recently received numerous accolades, including being ranked number one on the Forbes 2022 Best in State Wealth Advisors list for New York, and number one on the Forbes 2022 Best in State Women Wealth Advisors list for New York. A member of the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame, she consistently appears on the annual Top 100 Women Financial Advisors and Top 1200 financial advisors lists. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing Laurie's advice for social entrepreneurs to manage their finances and wealth effectively to fuel growth and social impact, and why philanthropy continues to play a vital role in helping disadvantaged communities and people. Laurie, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to be speaking with you. Thank you, India. Excellent. So just start off today, Laurie, can you please share a bit about your background and then what led to your work in social enterprise? I've had an interesting path. I am in the finance industry, but none of my formal degrees are in finance. I was raised by a single mother and grandparents. And I think you could say that my grandfather was very ahead of his time in the way he thought. He was a first generation American and he was my father figure. He had an eighth grade education. And somehow throughout my childhood and teenage years, he exposed me to a lot of things, including finance. And I ended up in my early 20s in a training program in the World Trade Center with one of the largest and most prestigious Wall Street firms. And I didn't think I was any different than anybody else. I didn't think I necessarily didn't belong there. Mm. I wasn't really entitled to anything. I just showed up. 
And I think that that's an example of great mentorship. When I was in my 30s, I was considered a nationally successful financial advisor. And I worked mainly in New York City, but lived outside of New York City in upstate New York. I was asked by the New York state governor at the time if I would consider a position with a very large local community college as a member of the board in New York. And this is not true across the United States necessarily. You are actually appointed to these boards for public institutions. I researched it a little bit. I had no experience with public colleges or universities, but I took a leap of faith and thought that it was an honor to be asked. And I agreed to be interviewed by the governor and his office. And I ultimately was appointed to this large community college that served a lot of students from disadvantaged circumstances, poverty, poor quality of high school education, family challenges, et cetera. These students had so much stacked against them. And I got very involved in the college as my avocation outside of my profession. I became vice chair and then chair of the board. And over the years, have been really involved with student initiatives and scholarships. And just as a little bit of background, community colleges here that are sometimes called technical colleges or by other names, but they vary in terms of academic offerings. I think in Australia, it's a similar setup. There are a lot of comprehensive two-year institutions, and they provide pathways for students to transfer to four-year colleges, to get an associate's degree or a liberal arts degree in all kinds of STEM-related fields, technical education, nursing, et cetera. So that was pretty much my first avenue towards really understanding, I think, Part of being a social entrepreneur is just being enlightened by things because we all live in our own circumstances. And unless we actually are introduced to people in communities that have been raised really differently and we really try to understand the root cause of the problems, we can never solve them. That was my first, I'm still very involved in community colleges. And I think they're one of the most important things in America in terms of giving disadvantaged students access to education. There's a lot I could say about that, but that's my shortest answer to how I got involved. A hundred percent. And it's a really interesting perspective and entry point into the space of social impact. And I love what you were talking about there about how being a social entrepreneur is allowing yourself to be enlightened by different people's experiences, which is so true and really amazing. Thank you for sharing your background there, Laurie. And you're also the founder and CEO of LVW Advisors. So could you please share a bit more about this organization's purpose and how it supports nonprofits and social enterprises? It's very interesting. We are a full-service financial advisory firm. So I did mention that I started in a large Wall Street firm in New York City and the World Trade Center. In 2008, right before the financial crisis, I brought my team of people into my own practice or business. Now I'd like to think of it as an enterprise because I feel it's going forward to the next generation. And we have long given advice to not just families, but also to not-for-profit institutions. I would segment them in a few areas, education, health and wellness, and the arts. I have personally been involved in 
many organizations around access to education, health equity, wellness, and the arts for everyone in a community, not just a certain mm -hmm. segment. Our business advises these organizations, not just on their investment pools of capital, but also on their financial health, their donor base. And we integrate financial advice into the organizational health and the constituents that they serve. That really is a synergy and alignment with what we believe and the clients that we serve and where we, in my case, certainly spend a lot of my personal time and dollars as well. We advise, I think, roughly 26 organizations that fall in those broad categories of access to education, health, wellness, the arts. But I personally serve on a lot of different boards around those areas as well really a suite of different activities and interesting applications of that financial knowledge that you clearly have for all of those accolades to the social impact and social entrepreneurship sector. It sounds absolutely amazing, the work that you do at LBW Advisors. And what practices would you personally recommend for startup founders and change makers to perhaps manage their finances more effectively so they continue operating their businesses? That's a good question for any business person, sustainability, however you define it, to stay in business with a sound business plan is a good starting point. <laughs> Understanding what the operating environment is and how it may change in the foreseeable future and what differentiates you from your competitors. But in the end, I think that I have been successful because I sought out to solve a problem that other people and organizations weren't solving. In fact, in my industry, there were a lot of conflicts of interest that may have served the business people, but not the end constituent or the client. Long fought a lot of conflicts of interest and wanted to provide a more seamless, integrated advice model that was objective. And that really didn't exist when I started. I think the point is that for anyone, what you're really trying to do is figure out how to meet a need better, more effectively and compassionately. I think if you do that, you'll have met the first requirements of sustainability. Bit of advice, I guess, would be that every time if you're thinking about starting a business or you're in the beginning stages of a business, you really have to seek out people that you respect, Maybe they're even competitors and get advice and feedback and take it to heart because criticism is really important, making sure you fine tune what you're doing, that you are really meeting the needs or you're meeting unmet needs. And at the same time, you have to balance what we call a P&L, revenue mm. costs, expenses continually. I do think sustainability, however we define it, whatever way we look at it, whether sustainability means being able to live another day and do it in a more perpetual way, or it means being a social entrepreneur at the same time you're running a business. I think it is about meeting needs better, more effectively, more compassionately. I, I think it's all about that. Really fantastic advice. And as you said, great advice for anyone within the business space as a whole, but there's also some fantastic lessons there for anyone going down more of the social impact route. And for the listeners, your bio earlier was actually condensed version and you're a part of a huge amount of different organizations, boards, and numerous other social causes which you support. So with your experience in philanthropy and being an active member of this social cause community, what role do you believe philanthropy plays in society 
And where are there more opportunities to amplify the change that these organizations create? That's also a good question. I think philanthropy, my firsthand experience is that it's very important because government just can't address the needs of all causes. If you get a group of people together and you are focused and targeted, you can more easily solve some of the biggest issues that are present in many communities in the world. There is this saying that philanthropy is contagious, and it's really true. I think you can take a relatively small amount of people and make a big difference. Governments are great, but there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of bureaucracy. And I think philanthropy can help fill the gap in terms of just making a bigger impact. I sit on a board of a large university. It's an academic medical center. And I sit on a committee of that board. Its focus is health equity. How do we have an impact in the community and at large around the the vast differences and outcomes of health based on where someone comes from, their socioeconomic class, what neighborhoods they live in. It's shocking the difference in just mortality between one zip code or one small area of a city and another, just based on nutrition, poverty level, safe housing, and education. I think it's one of the areas that I I care a lot about. And I'm just thankful that this committee of this huge organization has been created to look at what are the root causes of different outcomes in health in communities. Let's understand them and remove the obstacles to them so that people feel more empowered. They trust the health systems more, and we're able to really impact the outcomes. It's a grassroots effort where we've started with the residents where the young people have made a commitment to the medical field, starting with curriculum around this, actually integrating it into traditional curriculum is super impactful and amplifying. It's a huge problem across the world. There's been a lot written about this, but I think more and more health systems and large organizations that touch people every day around health, nutrition, wellness, all of the housing issues, if they were more focused on taking the basic knowledge of people on the front lines, whether they're doctors or surgeons, nurses or healthcare providers, all of this information around health equity can have a hugely impactful outcome over the years. That's one thing I'm really thankful that I'm involved in. And I think from a big picture perspective is one of the biggest issues we have in the world. I also think, and we talked a little bit about community colleges, access to education. And I do feel strongly that government officials and the public should give some of these free community and technical college education types of programs a closer look. In New York, for example, the funding of community colleges is inadequate. If we took a look at the people whose lives are turned around by a two-year degree or some kind of technical certificate, if we look at the people they then touch and what happens to communities over time, we would probably be putting more resources towards these community colleges and educational programs because we can address some of these 
huge systemic disparities we have in the United States, but across the world, education is really one of the ultimate equalizers and the stories are incredible. There are a lot of things, but these two are really on my radar. One, health equity and how you make a difference. We think about a large health system, wherever it is, think about all of the organizations they work with and the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing. If you could just take an inventory of all of the organizations that a large health system touches and then understand how you can make an impact around health equity more effective, less waste, more efficient, better outcomes. That's an interesting part of my philanthropic work. And then I think the other is education, access, and free tuition, but also making sure that those community colleges and public institutions that serve these students have the resources they need. Really well said there, Laurie, and some amazing different activities that you're involved in the philanthropic space and some great outcomes being made in society. So really fantastic to hear a bit more about that. And what trends have you identified for entrepreneurs to create a social impact themselves through more the wealth and financial investment space? The big term is ESG, environmental, social, and governance investing. And that's been around for a while, but it's gained a lot of momentum. And in our space, because we deal with not-for-profits, education, healthcare, and the arts, I, I always have loved working in these spaces because they're ahead of everybody else. And they've long realized that you can invest with certain managers, or you can invest in a way in companies that care about their constituents deeply and still make money and in fact, make more money (laughs) in Mm. some cases. So I think it's being embraced more. And as long-term investors, we seek to understand the competitive dynamics that'll play out over a lot of years. It has been long recognized that a company that we invest in, their impact on its stakeholders, meaning employees, customers, the environment, broader communities in which they operate can create financial opportunities as well as risks. Understanding and investing around that ESG framework is becoming more adopted. And I would say we have been investing that way in our portfolios for a long time. It used to be that the buzzword was socially responsible, which just meant excluding things that you thought were harmful to the environment in your portfolio or were in a certain category. And now it's really around how do you really change and what are the financial implications related to things like climate change, biodiversity, social inequities, global health, as I mentioned earlier. As long-term investors, we seek to understand the competitive dynamics that will play out over many years. We realize that a company's impact on its stakeholders, which are employees, customers, the environment, the broader communities in which the business operates, that can create financial opportunities and it can also create risks. Companies that harm stakeholders eventually will face negative 
resolve. It may not be immediately, but ultimately over time, you have increased operating costs, higher cost of capital, the loss of trust. Those all can be damaging for business. So there is this alignment now. I feel we've long recognized and invested with managers that care about this, but it's gotten much greater attention and there's more momentum now. Again, it used to be just about what do we avoid in investing? How do we embrace social responsibility? And now it's how do we really make a difference and actually have successful outcomes in our portfolios? I don't think there's a give up anymore is what I'm saying. You're 100% right in the way of that. It is becoming a lot more accessible in that way. But the language around it is evolving and the reasons why people are getting into that investment space are changing as well. So there's a lot of different opportunities there for anyone to look at trying to influence social change and create that impact that they want to see in the world. And we're coming towards the end of our interview now, Laurie. I've just got two questions here, pretty quick ones. The first one is, what inspiring projects or initiatives have you come across recently that are creating a positive social change? I think I'll throw out a couple that I think are wonderful. There's a Hmm. organization called Breakthrough New York. And basically it's a community for motivated students. These are good students who want to graduate from college. They have a 10 year tuition-free program that provides students from low-income backgrounds with opportunities, resources, and mentorship basically to succeed in rigorous schools or rigorous careers. I mentioned STEM earlier. It's grounded in three breakthroughs. So enrichment, so they have summer and after school programming, access to high quality schools that they think matters. So they coach students and families through the complex admission processes for high school and college, which is really key. And the third is relationships. It's a students teaching students model. And this is in the New York City area, but they train over 130 college students to teach programming and serve as mentors and admissions coaches. Mm -hmm. It's really a very interesting and impactful organization. The the second one, I would say the SUNY, S-U-N-Y Impact Fund, and this is uh, also more local New York, but I came across this and I thought it was incredible. I I couldn't believe it was actually, I had to check it out with Mm -hmm. several tax advisors. It's a charitable tax credit program that has an extraordinary impact on students that attend public colleges and universities. I mentioned my work and involvement with community colleges earlier, but I learned that you could make a qualified contribution to this impact foundation. And this is in New York state. SUNY Impact Foundation contribution could be designated to any state university or community college. Mm -hmm. If I gave X amount of dollars, I receive an 85% income tax credit. So Mm -hmm. I thought this is amazing and, and really out of the box thinking, but just communicating about that and getting people to understand it and motivated around it was really impactful around the one community college that I mentioned earlier that I served as the chair of the board on. I now am the chair of the foundation. So that's been really interesting. And then there's also an initiative, Monroe Community College has an initiative that was started by a women's giving circle. And I was part of that. And we named it Star Power. 
it was inspired by a generous initial challenge and a bunch of donors for the Monroe Community College Foundation, the boarders launched this scholarship in 2013 to raise money to support single parents pursuing their education at a community college. And in this case, Monroe Community College, we realized that the dropout rate of single parents was much higher than for the average student. It can mm-hmm. just common sense wise understand why that would be. So we targeted a scholarship starting in 2013 and it, it's just grown over the years. We've awarded 63 scholarships since 2016. And so it's a really incredible way to see a student succeed when just the smallest things can derail the completion of mm. you know, a college career. Career. Scholarships are super important. And I thought that when we started this, it was based on my background and being raised by a single mother, I realized how important this was. Really, list of different initiatives and organizations that are providing different social impact. Really great to run through those, Laurie. Thank you so much for sharing. And to finish off, books and resources. Are there any that you would recommend to our listeners to check out? Oh, wow. I can look at my Kindle and my Audible and come <laughs> up with things that I'm, I'm into right now. Mm. But I think you asked a question about sustainability. I think that there are a lot of reasons that small businesses fail. A long time ago, I came across this book, which has been revisited and updated, called The E-Myth. It's a Michael Gerber book. And mm. uh, it's It's worth a read if you are a small business person and you want to sustain yourself. It's one of my old tried and true resources. And it really did change the way I thought about my business and how I could sustain and actually grow it and it could thrive through to the next generation. In terms of philanthropy, there's a book, not a new book, but it really had an impact on me called The Art of Giving, Mm. where the soul meets the business plan. I found it to be really helpful and probably makes a lot of sense given your questions about philanthropy. And then I just tend to read everything Malcolm Gladwell writes. So I'm not sure that's directly (laughs) related to her interview, but to be brilliant and certainly has helped me in many situations. That's fantastic. Those recommendations there and all of the organizations, initiatives, social causes, books, resources, authors that you've mentioned throughout our interview today. They'll be linked in at the end of the article. So once the listener is either had to listen to our interview or they may have read through the transcript on the website, they'll be more than welcome to click on through and check all of that out. So I just want to say that brings us to the end of our interview, Laurie. And on behalf of Impact Boom, just thank you so much for making the time to share your generous insights with us. Now, all of the work you were doing in this space is just absolutely fabulous. And there's just such a bright future ahead and so much more social impact to be made. And I can't wait to see all of the work that you do. So on behalf of Impact Boom, we wish you all the best and we're looking forward to hearing about you. Thank you so much. It was really fun and I appreciate your time as well. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.